our featured BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders for this episode are Scenic America, Share Our Strength, and TSC Alliance. To find out more about these and other BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders, go to give.org. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. Our guest today is Carrie Fox. Now, let me talk a little bit about her. I met Carrie Fox, I want to say, it feels like seven years ago, around seven years ago. Our organization, the Wise Giving Alliance, was doing some work to help charities think differently about collaboration. And we had this wonderful group of professional consultants in the communications business that were working with us, led by, by the way, a woman by the name of Tina Beatty. Tina is now an executive with Sherm in communications. But Tina actually introduced us to Carrie because she felt that Carrie in her business was an ultimate collaborator. And the whole purpose of her organization, Mission Partners, was all about collaboration. She'd done some work with Carrie, and she said, you really need to get her. And at the time, we were doing this series with Stanford Social Innovation Review to identify what some of the key elements were for great collaborations. And we came up with our list, and then we asked Carrie to also write a list. And it was a great series. And it was through that that uh, we met Carrie and we've been connected in some way ever since. We even did a conference together in Florida, um, which we called, uh, what did we call that conference? Oh, I don't know. I'll remember it later. But it was a great conference, small group gathering of leaders. And since then, I followed her work as she has put out beautiful and really compelling content that helps us all not only think about how we collaborate, but also how we communicate. And uh, Carrie's business at Mission Partners is also about communication and how we can communicate our missions and the work we do in a much more effective way. So we want to talk to Carrie about that. And we also want to talk to Carrie about a new book that she's created, that she's produced, 
called Mission Forward. And it's also about how we can communicate better. So, Carrie, let me just start by welcoming you to the Heart of Giving podcast. Well, Art, thank you so much for having me here. I, I love the show and I listen to it often. And how fitting the way you started, because I truly believe all great roads lead back to Tina Beatty. <laughs> she is a fantastic collaborator. Talk about Tina collaboration. Beatty. And you uh, are correct. It was seven years ago because it was just as I was starting this firm, having come off of 13 years, having run another company called Fox Communications. And I'll tell you a little bit about why I made that transition from one to the other. But Tina actually was one of my first employees at Fox Communications. How about that? And as I have watched her incredible journey take off, how lucky I am to still be in her circle and, and how much I get to learn from her. Yeah, well, she is remarkable and they did some great work for us. And I'm really happy to see her ascend as she has been over at Sherm. So let me start with the question that I ask all of my guests. How in the world did you end up doing what you do in this B Corp helping charities think about communication? Mm. You know what? Long and winding road, Art Taylor. Though I will say for a Jersey girl who grew up in northern New Jersey, who was destined in some way to work with words, and I often I often joke, first I had to lose the Jersey accent. And then I could actually think about how I how I could move forward this mission that I have built for myself over the last 10 years, that I saw this opportunity pretty early on in life, right? That we all, regardless of what seat we sit in or what role we have or what position we hold, that we have a lot of power to change the world around us. And I remember pretty early on in life seeing some things that felt unfair or unjust and asking my mom, you know, why, why is it that way? And still trying to learn and determine how the world was working around me. She was the first one who said, you know what, if it doesn't feel right, it's probably not. And so dig in even more. So I, I grew up in northern New Jersey. I'm the middle child of three. My mother was a teacher. And I knew pretty early I, I wanted to work with words. And so I went off to college in Baltimore, advanced a career in communication, started my career actually working for Cal Ripken Jr. when he was still playing ball for the Orioles and helped him start his foundation and advance his mission of thinking about the power of, of sports to support society, and then moved on and, and started a public affairs firm before started my own. Now, that's a pretty, that's a pretty condensed trajectory there. But I knew, as, as noted, Art, that there was something in the power of communication that I wanted to dig into. And often I say, if I wasn't a communicator, I might be an archaeologist because I really like to dig. I like to understand. I'm incredibly curious about understanding the way the world works. And I think really over these past seven years since I first met you, I've started to deeply understand the role that communications can in fact play in advancing a more just and equitable future. And we'll get to that. Yeah, well, you know, great story about your origins in this. And it is fortuitous and helpful that you chose the nonprofit sector or the social sector to to work in because I was on a webinar a couple of weeks ago with folk from the Lilly School of Philanthropy, you know, my good friend Una Osili 
Dr. Osili, who had just completed some uh, a study that showed only about 5.2% of Americans surveyed said that they had any interaction with a nonprofit organization in the last year. Only 5.4% said they had any interaction. Mm. That's clear to me that they don't understand what nonprofits are. That's exactly right. I think you'd have to work to not have interaction with a nonprofit in one way or another. You have to really work hard. You have to just basically tell yourself, that's a nonprofit, I'm not doing it. And so we have a huge, right, communications problem. Massive, maybe other other problems too. I'm not going to say the communications is the only problem, but for five, only five point four percent of five point two percent of the people, which is almost like ninety, if my math is right, ninety four point eight percent of the population conclude that they don't have any interaction with a nonprofit. That's that's off the charts in terms of lack of communications, and so. Again, I think it's really fortuitous that you would choose this sector because we have a huge need for people like you who know how to use words to change minds and hearts. First of all, let me ask you, what do you make of that statistic? Well, you know what's interesting? I make of that statistic that, to your point exactly, folks don't understand how integral nonprofits are to every single community. It could be a nonprofit news outlet that someone's reading who they may not understand or know that it's actually a nonprofit organization. If they think about where they're getting their information, what services they're tapping into, that so many of the organizations we rely on in every single part of our world, that they may in fact be nonprofit organizations. And so I I agree with you fully. It reminds me also of a story from when I just started out. So I was 25 when I started my first firm. And I knew right from the first day, I wanted my firm to be focused on supporting nonprofit organizations. And I defined that as organizations who could say, what we do, we do for the good of others. So I set out to build a business around supporting high-impact, effective organizations who had a story to tell but didn't have the resources to tell it. And someone very early on who I admired quite a bit, she said, you are going to fail in the first year. There's no money in nonprofits. You know, no one's going to be able to take on your services. You might as well close the doors now. And I was able to prove pretty quickly that that's not the case at all, right? That there's a significant, I, I think there's a, there's a distinction when people think about yeah. businesses and nonprofits, Absolutely. which is a complete fallacy, as you know, right? Nonprofits are businesses. <laughs> They're a business type. But that there, in fact, was not only an opportunity to build a business here, but a significant need. And so that's where we started and have continued to, to grow and support nonprofits who are highly effective in their work, but need that support, amplifying and sharing their story in a meaningful way. Would it be fair to ask you about some of the more interesting projects or clients that you've worked on in the last seven years or so? Sure would. Okay. Sure would. So, And I think we have a few of them in common. But if I think about the kinds of work that really showcase what we do, I'll share one around an organization that was in the midst of a pretty major transition. They were thinking about the work they were doing. They had just rolled out a new strategic plan that was kind of changing how they were going to be operating into the future. And so they were at this transition point, Community Health Charities, CHC, right? They had- Oh, yeah. There we go. 
I just joined the board of CHC, by the way. Oh, excellent. So you're going to know this firsthand. They had this moment, and really in many cases, one moment, right? They had an opportunity to pivot how they were talking about their work that would reintroduce them to their community, but also set them up to, to be working with new communities and new organizations and new partners. So we came in just as they were going through those strategic conversations, understanding who are we, who have we been, and who are we becoming? And then when you apply communications and specifically strategic communications to that, it starts to help you understand how do we internally understand who we are and who are, who are we becoming? And then how do we talk about that work publicly in a way, and this is the most important piece, that doesn't market our work in a way that, that feels different than who we are at our core, right? That those two things have to be in sync. Who we are yeah. and how we talk about our work have to be aligned. That can be very difficult for organizations. So we guided them through their rebrand, new ways of talking about their work, and then supporting them in, in introducing actually their new work to all of their partners. Yeah. Well, CHC is a terrific organization. Agreed. And to be now focused on addressing the social determinants of health. Right. Is going Creating to be, healthier communities. Right. Absolutely. Because we can't just focus on one aspect of a person's life and think that that's going to create a healthy and long-term life, right? We have to continue to to work on all things going on. It's just like most problems, again, going back to collaboration, we have to collaborate because we have to look at problems holistically. And organizations tend to have a specific mission and a specific program focused on accomplishing something for a person or for a cause. And that's great. But generally, what we see is that people are not as the problems aren't as isolated or as siloed, right? And if you can't get other aspects of their lives straight, it's going to be hard to really address the part of their lives that you're trying to address. Education is linked to nutrition. It's linked to having a good place to study. It's linked to having good parents. It's linked to having a chance to play and exercise. So there's a lot that goes into being a, a healthy and viable student, as you know. And all these things are holistic. So yeah, go ahead. And being explicit, all those examples that you just gave are very specific to the role that any given nonprofit can play. I remember years ago when I was just getting into this work, we, we still do, but we were doing quite a bit of work on issues of poverty and economic mobility. And we did some research to determine that 13,000 nonprofits just in the D.C. area had their mission statement or some piece mm -hmm. of their mission statement was we break the cycle of yeah. poverty, right? Probably a pretty common theme. You've heard that phrase before. That was being so overutilized that it actually didn't mean anything because the vast majority of nonprofits can't prove that they are breaking the cycle of poverty. But what you're getting at is if you go deeper into the words, and actually think about what role are you playing and what is the direct effect that your work can have, then you have something that you can really start you know, to dig into and hang your hat on and, and in fact show meaningful change rather than making an empty promise, which is very hard to say. Indeed. So if I were to ask you about the nonprofit sector today, what would you say are some of the 
really important things we're doing and some of the things that gives you concern. Mm. So I love the way you started that, which is let's start with the positive first. I do a significant amount of work on issues of democracy, healthy democracy, what it takes for a, any given community to feel connected, to trust their their government at both a local and federal level. We know there's there's plenty of issues around how misinformation yeah. is shared and how trust is is broken. News, both community-based news and local news, is essential to that healthy democracy. And more news outlets than you might realize are, in fact, nonprofit organizations who are not answering to a corporate board of what do we write about and what do we not, right? And yet, I, I think there's, there's an opportunity right there that most organizations or most, most people don't know when they're reading a nonprofit news outlet or not. What nonprofits are doing well is delivering the services that our community needs in very creative ways, right? They're challenging business models. They are certainly leading with collaboration. They're thinking about strategic partnerships to move work forward and to make meaningful change. And they're, they're honest in how they are reporting growth year over year or change year over year, right? They're, they're held to a kind of standard to think about how do we talk about the impact we are having in our community, right? So I think there's a lot that's working inside the nonprofit sector. On the flip side, I still see that there are many organizations who default to some of the norms from yesteryear on how we're thinking about meaningfully including and embedding diversity, equity, accessibility in that work, right? How we're thinking about building teams of leaders, how we're thinking about shifting and sharing power from a traditional mm. board to potentially a community board, how we're creating space for nonprofit work to be of and for the community rather than to be a service that is delivered to the community. So closing the gaps in how nonprofits operate feels like a big opportunity. Yeah. Well, you know that as you think about issues, you've covered a lot of this in your book. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I want to get into it. Why did you name it the title that you gave it? Talk about that. Well, it's just that it's more than words is the title, and it's Communications Practices of Courageous Leaders. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that second part in a minute. Okay. But more than words is this play on, if you go back to my origin story, right? I set out to work with words. At some point, and I'll tell you the Damascus moment in a moment, yeah. I realized that there is a lot more that we need to be talking about and thinking about than the words we use. Because for for uh, leaders today and for organizations to truly be addressing some of the systemic issues that we face, we need leaders that are deeply courageous, who are willing to not just uh, name the issues that are in front of us, but to dig into them, right? To dig into the roots of the issues. And so this book, More Than Words, Communications Practices of Courageous Leaders, taps the four practices that I have seen some of the most courageous leaders use over and over again to make that meaningful change. So that's why it's called More Than Words. Can I tell you the story though? Please do. So mentioned at the top, I started my first firm when I was 25 and I ran that firm for 13 years. We became a national uh, nonprofit agency or a national agency for nonprofits, supporting them in their storytelling and their media relations. And we were very successful at it. Come 2016, and I am sitting, as most of the world was, watching presidential debates play out on screen between Trump and Clinton. 
And it, it doesn't take much to take you back to that moment of seeing on screen the physical space between those two candidates, mm-hmm. but also the ideological space between them. Yeah. And for me, realizing that there was not a thing that was being said on those stages that I could agree with. It just felt so far from where we needed our country to be. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, what I was hearing being played out by both of them on stage were these narratives about race and class in America that felt completely false, Mm -hmm. right? And yet we had played into those narratives. And in that moment, Art, I made a really hard decision, which is, oh my goodness, I think I've become part of the problem. I think the way that I have been guiding nonprofits to talk about their work as the savior in the community who is setting up solutions that are supporting vulnerable community members, that is not what our society needed, right? Because I realized that the words I was guiding nonprofits on, now, again, not not all of our work was being thrown out the window, Mm. but I was seeing a thread to the way I was guiding nonprofits and then to the story that I was seeing play out on this national stage. Interesting. So I made the decision to shut down my firm and to unwind everything I had done over that past decade and then start all over again, January 1st, 2017, what I say from a place of truth and from a place of trust to be a true mission partner, right? To walk alongside nonprofits as they're exploring their role in the world and their role in the, in the work that they do and understanding and acknowledging past harms and then thinking about how communication can be a force for good, right? Can be a tool that can support organizations moving forward, not just, and certainly not, perpetuating the harms that we've seen done in our society for so long. So I have to ask you, when you made this decision, you did an analysis of your work. That's right. To that point. That's right. And you decided that rather than advise people from my perspective, I want to understand more about their perspective and try to see how I can be helpful to accomplish what they want. So more of a counselor as opposed to a director or an expert, so to speak. Is that where you're That's right. I I don't come in saying I've got all the answers. My job is to listen very deeply to you and to understand what are you what are you dealing with what are you facing what are you trying to work through mm-hmm. and then how do we use those practices of communication to get you there fantastic idea well and it's so in line with the way things seem to be headed in the world you know we have a a rapidly evolving culture a rapidly evolving marketplace and it's hard to be expert <laughs> in everything, right? I would say in the last seven years, we've created a whole culture, a whole field, if you would, of chief diversity officers. We never heard that term before until maybe seven years ago. Now that everybody is a chief diversity officer. Right. Where did the expertise come from? <laughs> you know, were there like master's degrees of chief diversity? Uh, I mean, what was the what was the study? People right. just sort of said, I'm going to learn as we do. And I think that's where we are today in society uh, in general. I mean, we're learning as we do and we become 
good as we do, which means that we have to be comfortable with discomfort and making mistakes and fits and starts and um, just like uh, a child learns to walk, so to speak, right? I mean, kids don't come to us able to do a whole lot of things, but they try and fail and eventually they do it. And so it's, it's this iterative, it's this innovative spirit that we have to have it seems to me, in order for us to succeed. And it seems like you've leaned into that with your business, even from the standpoint of how it's structured, right? You're a B Corp. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. One one thing on on that, what you were just saying, you know, life is a learning journey. From that first moment that we enter this world, we are learning. And ideally, we continue that learning all throughout life, right? Right. I often say to my colleagues, actually, the day I stop learning will be the day that I close the company because my job more than anything else is to be listening, learning, and then applying what I'm learning. And you're right. I think for for a while, we thought what we need is experts. We need to be surrounded by experts. But maybe actually what we need are guides to take us up the mountain and to take us over the rocky areas and to help us understand this wild terrain that we are going through. It, no one could have predicted what happened a few years ago as we entered into a global pandemic yeah. and how we would navigate through that time. No expert, <laughs> unless you're a time right. traveler, could have guided you exactly through that. But really, it's how do we create the the skills, the resilience, the curiosity, the care, the courage that we need to guide ourselves and our organizations through these times. Well, that's right. Now I want you to give me a little bit more about this book. So tell me about the four leadership, is it the leadership models as you call them? Yeah, the four. So the four practices practices. that I have seen communications, the the best leaders use. And so I'll just give them to you quickly and then I can go in a little bit more. So the first practice, and this is really so much of what the book is based on, is dare to ask, Mm -hmm. right? The most courageous leaders aren't showing up as experts saying we have all the answers, but they are actually instead flipping that script and saying, what if, what if we actually challenged the way we do work? Mm -hmm. What if we questioned this a little bit deeper? What if we shifted how things are done, right? They're, they're deeply explorers, they're experimenters. And as a result of that, they're able to create this space in their organizations where other people all around them bring that same level of curiosity and care to their work too, right? So the first practice is asking questions and not having all the answers to those questions. The second practice is digging in. And you and I just touched Mm -hmm. on this a bit. It's one thing to be a superficial kind of skim across the top and do what you need to do, kind of dive in and dive out. But if you're really committed to addressing issues of equity, diversity, inclusion in your work, that's going to require some messy conversations and some explorations that, again, you're not going to necessarily know where the work is going to take you, but you've got to be willing to dig in in partnership with your team, in partnership with your community, in partnership with your colleagues, even if it means you're going to kind of get messy through it all, mm-hmm. right? You're going to put that, you're going to take the armor off, you're going to take your guard down and you're going to say, I am in this to learn with my team. Yeah. I'm not going to direct the work through it. So that's the second one is digging in and practicing that. The third one is widening your lens. So the most courageous leaders I see applying this work are understanding that they are leaders, not of moments in time, but of movements. 
and they understand that if they enter into the world with their agenda, right, with their blinders on, and they're just pumping every day with their agenda, they will miss a big opportunity to connect their work to the larger world around them, right? So thinking about not just how we communicate about our issue, but why our issue matters in the bigger context of life, right? So it comes back actually to that example I was sharing around the role that local news plays in democracy. There's a lot of people who care about democracy right now. Not everyone is making the natural connection though to local news and democracy. And so that's what I mean by really connecting your issue to the wider issue. And then the last one is in many cases the most important and that's follow through. That a practice is, is just that, right? It's a practice. We've got we've to literally practice it every day until it becomes something that is inherently part of us. It's how we show up. It's how we share what we learn and it's how we share what, how we're growing every day. But following through on the commitments you make practicing every day the skills that it takes to be a caring, courageous leader. So those four things are really the the practices that I dig into in the book. And in each chapter, I share some stories and some exercises that folks can take to literally build their own practice of becoming yeah. a courageous leader. So, you know, there are a few things I want to just ask you about. First, uh, I know a lot of your book focuses on how communications can help us deal with inequity and problems associated with inclusiveness and how we do that as communicators. But in the section focused on digging in, I, that especially resonates with me because I really think that if we're going to be successful, and you know, we talked about this on your podcast, which we should promote a bit, we really got to dig in and do the hard work. Mm-hmm. The hard work is looking at the various systems and processes and practices and cultural mores that we have in our organizations that tend to hold people back for no right. reason right. other than the color of their skin right. or the religion or the sexual orientation or their gender. And we've got to break through that and we've got to decide when we find these barriers do we want to change? Mm-hmm. And if we want to change, we got to do that hard work, right? To change. Right. And if we don't want to change, then we got to be courageous enough to say, you know what? We don't think we need to change this, even though it's what it is and let the marketplace deal with it the way they will. Because I think in the end, what's really important is people tell the truth. People mm-hmm. be truthful about what they are and who they are. Mm-hmm. And the marketplace will deal with it. Mm-hmm. But you are really, I think, helping us deal with this from a communication standpoint. And so talk more about how you feel communications can really help us address some of the inequities that we see in the workplace and in our society writ large. That's a great question. So I think many of us underestimate the role that we play as communicators. Right. If communications isn't in our title, we we aren't a communicator. (laughs) And yet Every day we wake up and we make decisions on what we will say, how we will say that, how we will question and engage people in this work, or how we will unintentionally leave people out of the work. Yeah. And so my deep belief is that communications is part of everything we do every day, whether we have that word in our title or not. And so if we understand that, if we understand the, the power that comes with 
how we communicate. That is both how we are listening, how we are analyzing, how we're learning, how we're applying, and then how we're sharing back with the world that we all have a role to play. And our, my team not too long ago did a national study of executive leaders across for-profit and nonprofit organizations. And we asked them a, a number of questions, both in terms of how they communicate, but what they communicate. There was a section of the survey that was tied to racial justice commitments. And so we first asked how many of the, of the leaders in this thousand survey set had a commitment. Only about half of them had any commitment. And so those who didn't, we then said, why not? And the kind of responses we got back were, my organization's too small. We can never make an impact on this. We don't see this work relevant in our industry. There's a lack of interest among our employees. And there's not enough resources to support it. And I thought about that, right? 50% of organizations don't even tap into work tied to racial justice commitments because they believe they're too small or people don't care. And so if you were just to activate a piece of that half, what kind of meaningful impact we could make? And again, it's through that lens of understanding that we all have a role to play. Bit by bit by bit, we can move this society forward, but we all have to understand that there is a stake that we all need to have in this work. We don't have to be the experts. I want to get my hands on that study. I'll tell oh, you it's coming out next week on the 13th. I'll get it to you. Well, I'm designing a course for the Lilly School of Philanthropy in the new Philly PhD program, Doctors of Leadership in Philanthropy. And I'm going to be teaching a course on leadership models to these PhD students, a wonderful cohort. And if you haven't checked it out yet, I commend it to uh, all of our listeners who are interested in what's happening in higher ed and in philanthropy. But this particular class I'm going to teach will be using that kind of data to help mm -hmm. our, our students really understand the kind of leaders that they need to be mm -hmm. in order to uh, thrive and help us thrive as a society. So I wanted to hold that up. But secondly, I wanted to go back to this notion of communication and diversity, because one of the challenges I, I want to see if you've come across, Carrie, is sometimes the people who need to say something about this don't say it. And I'm not just talking about the people who are sometimes at a disadvantage in companies. I'm talking about the ones who we more generally refer to as privileged in the organizations, right? They aren't speaking out. They aren't right. speaking up. And sometimes they say it's because we don't know how. That's right. We are worried that if we say it the wrong way, then people will be offended and we won't be able to, we don't want to offend people, or we, but we don't know what else to do. So we just we're just quiet. Just stay silent. Are you hearing that? And All how the do we time. Deal with that? All the time. I mean, words matter, right? But it's more are than words, words mattering too much? Yes, people they don't are. even talk. They are. I think it's very common for folks to get wrapped up in their words and worry that they are going to say something that's going to backfire. They're going to say something that's not going to be perceived correctly. They're going to say something and make a situation worse. And yet, what happens when we are seeing, witnessing, experiencing injustice, and we stay silent, the issue is bound to only get worse, right? So yeah. 
rather than thinking about, let me protect myself and my self-interest because I might say something wrong. What would it look like instead if you led with care and understanding and vulnerability to say, I acknowledge that I don't have all the right words here, but I do want to open a door for a conversation or an exploration, right? And again, it comes back to the idea of start with a question then. Start with curiosity and say, we, we as an organization are going to work through this together. But what we can't afford to do is stay silent because then we're just simply staying complicit. We're saying that the, the current norms might as well be working. Yeah. Right. And I and I suspect that that's not the way most organization organizational leaders are feeling. So go ahead. Well, no, as we get to the end of this, I wanted to just shift a little bit because I'm fascinated by this whole development with AI. And I know you've been sort of yes. studying it some, too. Yes. And I guess we both have a sense that it is going to be a transformational grouping of technologies but what is your sense so far about whether this is these are positive or neutral or negative developments for our sector and for society at whole? I, you know, I, I deal with educational institutions to some extent too, and I know there's a certain degree of panic going on, but <laughs> we'll see. What are, your, what are some of your thoughts That's right. about it? That's right. Well, I wrote. I wrote an article on this and I'll, I'll pass it along to you, but just like any technology, there are benefits to it. There are interesting applications for how AI can be used that can support us in our work in any given way. When we over rely on technology, however, is when we start to find problems because the technology is only as good as what feeds it. Mm -hmm. And many times the technology is fed by the same types of misinformation that exists all over the web. And so if we are leaning so heavily on AI, not only are we potentially reinforcing some of the negative or false information that exists out there, but there was a study that was done by a London professor who looked at what happens when we stop using our own analytical skills and rely on technology to come up with the answers, our minds literally start to atrophy. And that's mm. a scary thought. <laughs> if we believe that machines are going to run the future, right? If we don't want that to happen, we can't let that happen. And so over-relying on technology to have analytical conversations, thoughtful conversations, caring conversations, that just simply can't happen. We need to continue to focus on human potential and human possibility. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's still a lot more to unravel with the human condition right? and our limitations and assets. And I think we should continue to pursue that. Do we have a minute for one more quick story? No, we do. Yeah, please. I read an article just a couple of weeks ago from one of the most influential nonprofit leaders, a, a blogger who's been mm. at this for a long, long time. And this individual said, AI will change the future in the most positive way for nonprofits. And I thought, man, I wish this person took their responsibility more seriously. Because in doing that, I think we missed a major opportunity to think about the power that our words have on how we shape an understanding of a system, right? That yes, there is benefit in technology, but we can't simply say that technology will solve all of our problems. We still have to show up as caring, honest, and, and present leaders in this work too. 
No, I couldn't agree more. I think it's really important that we think about our relationship with technology. Yes. And understand what some of the ethical dimensions are of how it's used and applied to make sure that we don't simply elevate some of the injustices that we currently have by embedding them into new technologies. And I think that is the real opportunity for us with, with these tools. If used appropriately, I think these tools can do a lot to level playing fields. You know, they can do a lot to help level playing fields. They can make all of us better communicators. Maybe we could create better understanding. But if it's simply going to be regurgitating bad information and creating more filter bubbles and getting people further and further from talking to each other as human beings, Mm -hmm. then it's the other way around. And I think we do have agency, all of us, in making sure that that's not the case. So anyway, we'll see where it goes. It's certainly uh, an exciting time that we live in, wouldn't you say? It sure is. Well, Carrie, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on the Heart of Giving podcast. It's been a pleasure, as always, whenever I'm in your presence. Well, thank you, Art. And if only I was blessed to be in a classroom, you teaching, Art, just sounds like the best place to be. So thanks for making some time for this. Well, don't be surprised. I may call on you to join one of my classes sometime. So look look forward to hearing from you. Well, that sounds great. Well, let me just say also give a shout out to your podcast, Mission Forward. Um, Definitely check out the Mission Forward podcast. You can find it on all of the platforms as well. And if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, the Heart of Giving podcast, you can find us also on all major podcast platforms. And I hope you will subscribe. And I'll tell you why. We don't spend any money on marketing. We just don't. We're not you know, a major network or anything. We spend no money on marketing, yet we had the good fortune of reaching number one. We ranked as number high as number one in a nonprofit a genre of podcast, which is only because people like you listeners subscribe to the show. The more people who subscribe, the more people who get to hear it. That's how these algorithms work. They tell me. So if you're listening to it and you like what you hear, just hit like subscribe because it makes a huge difference in terms of how many future people ever get to hear these shows. So, uh, and then, by the way, if you want to make a donation to the Heart of Giving podcast, you can do that too. Just go to give.org and make a donation. We'll put it to good use. So this is a weekly. We'll see you back here next week with another show. And in the meantime, I hope you all have uh, a successful week. Take care. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.